coming up on Ibogaine Uncovered. Really, the medicine doesn't function outside of relationships. And the Buiti know this because they know a lot about social medicine. Their whole culture is communal social medicine, where they are having very tight relationships. So it's the relationships that heal people as much as the medicine. That's really important. And the medicine loves relationships. And those very words came from many journeys with the medicine. The medicine loves relationships. It loves to be held in relationships, integrated in relationships, served in relationships. And that's so so intrinsic to it. So yes, it can help us, but the relationships also help the medicine. My name is Amanda Siebert, and you're listening to Ibogaine Uncovered, the podcast that explores the impact of one of the most powerful psychedelic medicines on the planet. Can Ibogaine really get to the root of our trauma? Join me as I ask practitioners, patients, researchers, and specialists about their experiences. Hello, and welcome to Root Medicine. I'm your host, Amanda Siebert, and in this episode, I interview Elizabeth Bast. Elizabeth is a writer, yoga teacher, Bwiti initiate, traditionally trained ceremonial iboga facilitator, and the co-founder of Soul Centro in Costa Rica. She has worked with iboga for well over a decade. She's also the author of Heart Medicine, A True Love Story, a memoir about an experience in healing through iboga. I really enjoyed this discussion with Elizabeth, where we dive into iboga and relationships, its impact on relationships, the importance of relationships to its use, and how one can use iboga to cultivate a deeper relationship with the self, others, and the earth. We begin by discussing Elizabeth's introduction to iboga, which happened while supporting her partner through a relapse. She offers some great advice for people who might be acting as caregivers or supporters for people who are suffering from addiction. Then we get into Elizabeth's own relationship with Aboga and how that relationship has grown over time, through being initiated with Abwiti alongside her partner, through opening Soul Centro in Costa Rica, and becoming a mother. Finally, we discuss the concept of reciprocity, of what that word means in the psychedelic space and what it looks like. This heartfelt conversation really gets to the root of why community is so important and intrinsic to not just an iboga or ibogaine experience, but any medicine experience. Elizabeth's work and life experience really speak to the value of relationship and remind us that healing is not an individual pursuit. It's something that happens as a collective. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. So grateful. Thank you so much, Amanda. Mm. What a what a treat. I'm so thrilled yeah. to have you here. So you're joining us today from Costa Rica, I believe. Tell me about your world. What is life looking for you these days? Bright and sunny, <laughs> I hope. Any any projects on the go? Sure. Yes, my world these days. Well, a lot of rain actually in the afternoons. We have beautiful mornings a lot. And I'm just grateful. Every single day I go outside and there's birds singing and there's just like trees exploding all around us. These very big spirits, these magnificent, diverse trees and iguanas scampering around and monkeys come on our roof. Mm. 
and yell at us and there's beautiful fruit and I love like getting in the water a lot. There's a waterfall and a pure like little creek, mm-hmm. a delicate little creek like within walking distance of our space and the baby. I have a one and a half year old little medicine baby who loves the water. He, he says, agua, agua, agua. He yes. likes to play with the little, the currents and uh, get him out there naked in the sun. Mm, and lots it. of hard work, you know, lots of beautiful hard work. We host retreats here and see people come in. And then what we call it throughout the eight days and the two ceremonies that they're there, we get to see what we call the Iboga facelift. And so much <laughs> light comes <laughs> comes into their faces and you really get to see the essence of people coming through like all of the personality structures and all of the coping mechanisms that they developed to survive Mm -hmm. that sometimes can cloud that beautiful essence and I'm just absolutely devoted to that I love it so much with every cell in my body it is my greatest joy and greatest joy to understand the Bwiti frameworks the indigenous ways of knowing are so deep and so ancient and so profound. And I just feel like it's hard to put into words just how much joy it, mm. it brings me and, and gratitude to be able to I serve love, in this way. Thank you. I love the way you put that, the aboga facelift. I imagine being in such a stunning and rich environment really contributes a lot to that facelift. So Elizabeth, I know that you came to Aboga through something so universal, so intrinsic to the human experience. Mm -hmm. And that is through relationship, through partnership, when you were Mm -hmm. seeking out a treatment option for your loved one. This is something that you discuss in your book. So this really stands out to me, because I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to the show who may be in the same shoes that you were in, who um, Mm -hmm. perhaps they deeply love someone who is struggling with addiction and trauma, and they have this desperation to help them, but they're feeling kind of helpless. So let's talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that feeling, that deep, aching love that you have for someone who is at their bottom. How did that love lead you to a boga? And what happened when you found it? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I entered into the greatest joy of my life through the one of the greatest tragedies of my life. Mm. And six years after I met my now husband, when I met him, he was very sober, like militantly <laughs> sober. And he thought even plant medicines were like, quote unquote, a drug. And yet he had a relapse. After six years, he was a polysubstance user previously and primarily opioids. And he had a relapse. And I could sense something was really different about him when I picked him up at the airport after being gone for like two months, pretty much. And then he confessed to me the next day that he had had a relapse and was already starting to go through withdrawals. And at that point, our relationship was already strained. Of course, relationships become strained Mm -hmm. when someone is slipping into that toxic place. And the next day, I I went into nature, which is my church, and my place to pray. 
and to clear my mind because in order for us to know anything, we really have to not know first. We have to put down all the analyzing, all of the strategizing and just completely not know anything for a moment. So I went out into nature, just clearing my head and listening, like listening with my whole body, that state of receptivity that is a part of prayer and listening to literally like listening to the animals and looking at the trees. And then from the depths of my consciousness, Iboga came mm. and it was just this one word, like just like Iboga speaks to me in the ways that I know it now. Oh, and by the way, the night before when he confessed, three words came to me, also very characteristic of the way that Iboga expresses. Very mm. concise, very powerful, and very simple. And it said, pray, wait, listen. Wow. These words came to me. Pray, wait, listen. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> put, put that down. Not, not in an auditory way, like just the words. And so mm -hmm. the next day, Iboga comes into my consciousness. And in that moment, Amanda... I couldn't remember how I had ever read, a, knew about it or how I knew it was good for addiction. But I knew mm. like something about this and addiction. In retrospect, I probably read about it a decade earlier and filed it away, forgot about it. Mm. I was never interested in it for my, myself, never looked it up. You know, I'd probably read two things and... So this thing was like reaching out for me in a very strong way. To this day, it was one of the most remarkable moments of my life. So I went home and I did research. And when you look up Iboga or Ibogaine on the internet, there's a lot of scary stories. There's a lot of adverse events when people really, really aren't qualified to handle that medicine. So it was very scary at first and a process of talking to Chor about this. And there was a battle going on. And anyone who's loved anyone who has been addicted knows that it is very much like there's a possession going on. And that is relating also to the indigenous understanding that there's space for that. You know, the space comes from trauma. When we are traumatized, in the understanding of the Bwiti, the soul will eject itself which is what we call disassociation. Mm. The soul is not able to be present, right? And then there's a space there, free rent. There's a space there, and someone's like, ooh, I want to ride on that. So that's, that's the Bwiti understanding. And there was, something, gotcha. yeah, there was something else in him, something else in him that was not his voice, that was not his character, that was not his behavior. And it was creepy that there was something else so mm. distinct in there. So there was this battle going on because that thing doesn't like to be evicted. doesn't want to, it likes its joyride. Mm -hmm. And I knew, and this is one thing that my, my heart just goes out to people who love people who are suffering from addiction. It's so hard because we cannot save anyone Mm -hmm. We can create opportunities and offer opportunities for people to save themselves. But we have to be very careful because the energy of addiction is kind of contagious. Like the trauma, and even though it might mutate person to person, like I could become very addicted mm -hmm. to trying to 
manage and control and worry about somebody else's addiction. Interesting. And when that so, happens, we call it codependency, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like how we seem to have this very singular idea of what addiction is. And I think that concept that you've just outlined there is really important that it doesn't have to be a substance. It can be a behavior. It can be a a line of thinking that you can become addicted to. I just want to offer if there's people, listeners out there that love someone who's suffering from what I call the spirit of addiction, love yourself, serve yourself, trust yourself, have healthy boundaries Enjoy yourself as much as you can. Live your life. Follow your purpose. Follow your bliss because that is actually the best thing that can happen and be available to help, but not if it breaks your back, you know, Mm -hmm. not if it breaks your bank. Respect your boundaries. And that actually has a very powerful effect that ripples out. And and he wanted it. He wanted to Mm -hmm. live. He wanted Mm -hmm. to find another way. And until someone reaches that point, there's not much we can do, but, you know, share a podcast. I'm like, hey, you know, I, this is interesting. What do you mm-hmm. think about it? We have to mm-hmm. stop trying to manage and control people who are addicted and become deeply curious because addiction is a reach for relief. It's a mm-hmm. reach for medicine, some, always for a very deep trauma somewhere. Absolutely. This idea yeah. of staying open and curious is so, so important when we're trying to lend support and, you know, of course, to, to put ourselves first. We can't help others if we are ourselves, mm-hmm. our cup is not being filled. I imagine navigating your partner's recovery, your own trauma, and the relationship all at one time was very overwhelming. And you write that throughout this journey that your relationship demanded a detox as well. So it was your relationship yeah. that led you to a boga. But what did a boga teach you about your relationship and the nature of relationships in general? Yes, thank you. Oh, what did it teach me about our relationship? Well, his relapse, actually, like, were very related to a bigger picture that was bigger than him. He was the pressure valve, but there was more complex issues that you can read about in the book if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Much more complex issues. There were ways I was being dishonest. There were ways I was being out of integrity, and it was very convenient to scapegoat him and blame him. But I had things in my life, in my consciousness, that were out of alignment with my soul. And I didn't go to the medicine for him. Mm -hmm. The more I started researching the medicine, the more I learned it was potentially helpful for PTSD symptoms, which I was definitely suffering from, even Mm -hmm. after decades of yoga and consciousness studies and I've done the therapy done some really beautiful deep healing work with other medicines also but there's a stubborn kind of eternal flinch the guardedness the rigidity was very painful so I went for my own reasons and that is important I love Mm -hmm. it when couples come together it's some of the best Mm -hmm. relationship therapy ever but you work on yourself Mm -hmm. and that is how you can work on your relationship is you really, really look deeply at yourself. So I went for my own reasons. It was absolutely profound and magical. And in that moment we were hanging by a thread. I made one Mm -hmm. promise to myself and that's, I'm going to do everything that I can 
to support him in arriving safely because it was a roller coaster. And I don't know anything else after that. I'm going to show up and go for my own reasons. And the medicine really showed us a lot. We jumped in and out of each other's journeys, which was a wild experience. Like I could see his journey. He could see he got in my head and like (laughs) swam around in there and uh, understood a lot. And we both had visions of our marriage. Mm. Like, okay, marriage is important in human culture. Mm -hmm. And we were just kind of floating along half there, but there's something really profound about marriage. Even if it doesn't last for your whole life, it's still profound. It's a profound level of commitment. So we both had visions of our marriage in different ways. Mine was very much like Disney and <laughs> his was in Africa. Wow. Uh, like these two, yeah. So, anyway, it was different. It was like, don't do it that way, you know, and it was funny. But so we were married and it was very clear. But it, at the same time, we had this very deep healing, and I knew that he was very ill. But the medicine shared he's not ill anymore. And what I had to do mm. was relate to him in the way that he was in that moment and not in the moments before, which Mm. is something I was really good at being talked about. You know, you mentioned addiction to like a line of thinking. I was very addicted to resentments and it's a way to scapegoat other people too, for ways I needed to take accountability. So I, that was hard for me. I had to retrain my mind, but Iboga and Ibogaine give us that opportunity to do Mm. so. And he came out, of the first ceremony, which was just a detox. It wasn't the whole thing. And he came out and he looked at the earth and he said, I love my life. I never want to disrespect myself again. And I know that part of that was his intentions. How beautiful is that? Isn't that not the root of Hmm. all healing? Yes. I love my life. I don't want to disrespect myself and then there's integration, which is another thing. <laughs> but he, he came out, and, and I know he came in a really good way. He actually went through withdrawals before he arrived, which can be sometimes a very powerful offering. In our understanding, we see that the cleaner someone comes to this medicine, the more of the jewels that they get in terms of the inspiration and insights And that's a very intelligent process, actually, to let go a little bit, to make space for the Mm -hmm. medicine. Because the addiction and detox are just the first things that it does to get to what it really needs to do and wants to do. Its divine program is that. I love my life. The spiritual Mm -hmm. awakening and the spiritual discovery and understanding what life is and soul-aligned visionary creativity. That's the real program. So it just does the other thing first. And it's sad that this medicine is marketed like just for addiction because it's wonderful for so many things, for trauma, for eating disorders, for some certain kinds of mental health issues, and for visionary soul-aligned creativity. Like entrepreneurs, let's go. Mm. This is the medicine. It's so beautiful in my perspective, in my opinion, from working with a lot of medicines. Yeah, so that, that was how we landed here. And then we went to Africa a lot after that. 
Thank you for that, Elizabeth. I, I love what you said there about this idea of how aboga and ibogaine are marketed as just for addiction when in reality it can help us with so many different things. And one of those things I, I want to discuss is its ability to heal our relationship patterns and our attachment styles. What are some ways that mm-hmm. aboga can sort of help illuminate these perhaps wounded attachment styles that we might have? Thank you. Great question. Well, the affirmation that we are all so connected mm-hmm. and that we are connected to nature, we are actually not alone. And that deep, deep knowing, and I'm not talking about intellectual knowing, but knowing with every cell in your body that we are connected. And even if there's people in our lives that sometimes we have to love from a distance for our own well-being, I still feel always that deep sense of interconnectedness, which really helps with compassion. And compassion is integral to any relationship. Compassion and relationship, even with ourselves, that's where it all starts. So for Mm -hmm. me, I don't separate iboga and buiti. They so hold each other. And like, for example, Beyond, the clinic, has a very intelligent process of relationship building, of like starting a relationship weeks in advance, Mm -hmm. having support and the follow-through and the way that they move through their program Really, the medicine doesn't function outside of relationships. And the Buiti know this because they know a lot about social medicine. Their whole culture is communal social medicine, where they are having very tight relationships. So it's the relationships that heal people as much as the medicine. That's really important. And the medicine loves relationships. And those very words came from many journeys with the medicine. The medicine loves relationships. It loves to be held in relationships, integrated in relationships, served in relationships. And that's so so intrinsic to it. So yes, it can help us, but the relationships also help the medicine. And the honesty. So with that, honesty is 110% truth. Relationships, real relationships, are not airbrushed. They are based on truth. And truth is central to the buiti. Truth. When we can be honest with those close to us and with the medicine provider... That's key to like be honest with your provider, with your counselor. Mm -hmm. If you can be honest with them, you can be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with them, you can't be honest with yourself. That is the truth. You know, and it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. Vulnerability is actually a great strength. It's so interesting that the spirit of addiction is all like smoke and mirrors, you know, it's like, oh, don't see me. I can, and it's not people's fault, but they never tell the whole truth. <laughs> they like mm-hmm. what they're taking, how much they're taking, how often they're taking it. It's the spirit of addiction that wants to hide or sometimes lies about inconsequential, seemingly meaningless details. But this hiding, hiding, because it knows once it's seen, it's likely to be evicted. So if people can come, it's like so participatory. If people can come to the medicine and be honest, they have a chance. Mm. 
They have to be able to be honest with themselves. And you can't be honest with yourself if you can't be honest with your medicine provider that you have chosen carefully and those closest to you. So that's how it, it healed my relationship with my husband. And Iboga and Buiti also taught me a lot about what it means to be really in the present moment hmm. <laughs> with our whole body, with all of our senses. Mm-hmm. Relationships also live in the present moment. If we're relating to someone from the past or for the future of who we hope they might be, that's not intimacy. Living in the present moment. And there was a time when I was struggling some years into my work as an iboga provider, I was struggling with another loved one who is falling into a potentially deadly situation. And it was heart-wrenching, so hard. Mm-hmm. And what I know is that we can't go to iboga and, and ask, because how we're trained to work with it, we actually ask questions. But I can't ask for the medicine to fix this person. What I can do is look at myself. Like, how can I show up in the best possible way? Because my tendency was to manage and control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I control. Mm-hmm. And, and the medicine shared three words, <laughs> three, three simple words, love, trust, and the last word, watch. And the way that it said mm-hmm. watch was like, watch me, like a showgirl, like mm-hmm. watch me. And, and I had to completely reorientate myself to just be curious because curiosity mm-hmm. is intimacy. And I had to let go. It was, it was that person's initiation. Like addiction is also an initiation, mm-hmm. even though it's hard and ugly and sad. And there's a lot of different ways it can go. And it's always a teaching, even if people die. It's always a teaching. It's an initiation about the meaning of life. And that's between that person and creator. And all I can do is love, trust, and watch. Yeah, it's beautiful what happened. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful what happened. And those are like hard words. I have another friend who did die, you know, and oh, I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah, long before I met Iboga, I only was, mm-hmm. and secret hiding, secret hiding, Mm -hmm. you know, a dear one passed away very close, very, very close. So I don't say those words lightly. Mm -hmm. And again, just, yeah, it's so hard to see someone struggle. So those are some of the ways Mm -hmm. that Iboga can help and Ibogaine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you received that, that message, love, trust, and watch. And I think it's interesting. You mentioned earlier that a message was delivered in three words. This time it was delivered in three words. And actually (laughs) during my experience with I began I also received three words and those words were trust surrender and receive and one thing that I've noticed the medicine yeah isn't that so wise like wow sometimes I'm feeling flustered and a little bit overwhelmed with life and then I remember these three words and it's like a just a wave of calm (laughs) kind of washes over me but one thing that I've noticed since that experience is I've kind of developed a bit of a dialogue with Iboga, the spirit of Iboga. And that makes this relationship that I have with it feel very real. Like it's still here offering guidance. Like you said, only if I'm, if I'm present enough to listen, right? Because the presence is so key. So this nature of our own relationship with Iboga. I want to ask a little bit about your personal relationship with Iboga. How has this relationship developed over time? 
Sure. Yes. Oh, ooh, juicy. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, um, mm-hmm. the three words, right? Mm-hmm. The Buiti have what they call, they're very into three. Oh, the Buiti have a rule of threes. So like things should always come in three, done in three. And that happens a lot with the medicine. Wow. Good to know. The Thank three. You. Yeah, which mm-hmm. was so, so fascinating. Your words were trust, love, and surrender. Trust, surrender, receive. Similar. Receive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> powerful medicine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes medicine is more powerful when it's not diluted with a lot of fluffy words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so clear. True. Clear and simple. Mm-hmm. What a blessing. And that, that's a mantra for you. Mm-hmm. So clear. Gorgeous. And when you say those words, right, like the whole feeling in your body changes. Maybe you're breathing deeper. Mm-hmm. You're actually... When you do that, when you say those words, when you choose your words, then you're thinking with your soul. And when Mm. you think with your soul, then you're using your mind in the highest possible way. So that's beautiful to hear about the medicine of the words. So to answer your question, Mm. over time, as a part of our traditional iboga training, we had to take a lot of medicine. (laughs) And a lot of microdosing. Microdosing is very much a part of that path. And to understand our tolerance and to learn from the medicine. Mm -hmm. And I have grown... First, I was very intimidated. I'm like, at first, I was kind of resistant. Like, I I don't know about... This this medicine's mean. This medicine's... (laughs) Mm. Fierce. I mean, not mean. It's a, It's like it's fierce. It's I like pure fierce. love. It's so intelligent. Yes, it's so intelligent. I'm just kidding. A mm. little like not mean, but <laughs> it doesn't play. Yeah. Totally, totally. Fierce medicine and very confrontational medicine. Mm-hmm. And there's you see the truth, no going back. Mm-hmm. You can try, but it's mm-hmm. never the same once you really see the truth about yourself. Mm-hmm. So at first there was this resistance, and then the more I started working with the medicine, I saw other sides of the medicine. So the Buiti understand that there's the father side and the mother side, and it is a very binary culture. Their culture okay. is binary. And the women and men are always separated, different sides of the temple, like a charging battery. However, their concepts mm-hmm. of what is masculine and what is feminine is infinitely broader than our Ken and Barbie. Like, it is infinitely broader in conduct, in behavior, in... Yeah, it's so interesting. So anyhow, there's a father side of Iboga and a mother side. And most people only ever hear about the father side or only ever experience the father side because the father comes in as they relate to it and puts everything in check. It's the fiercest side. And for most people, they're going through a detox first. The first journey or two or three... Our detox. You have to earn, you know, someone has to really earn their way in, into the other side of Iboga. And the Bwiti say you have to be clean to enter the spirit world. And that's where all the gems are. That's where mm-hmm. all, that's like the real essence of Iboga. And that's where the mother is. So the mother, just as fierce as Iboga can be, of all the dark shit in our psyche, showing us really what's there, like turning Mm -hmm. on the floodlights of the basement. But the mother, I described in my experience as an avalanche of beauty and grace, an Mm -hmm. avalanche of beauty and seeing the beauty of life and creation 
and elegance and instead of this like rough jarring experience it's like smooth flowing and so this other side of iboga it's playful it's very creative so i've noticed the highest potential for neurogenesis and neuroplasticity the most remarkable effects on my brain chemistry as well over time worked with all the other big medicines previously in ceremonial containers so i have some perspective so it for those reasons it really supports creativity and solutions thinking outside the box connecting the dots and connecting people so it, in part of our iboga training and this is relationships again in part of our iboga mm-hmm. training the first few years they were like a broken record they're like work on yourself study yourself work on yourself study yourself take more iboga <laughs> study yourself. <laughs> and finally i got it because sometimes you really have to earn the knowledge mm-hmm. you know it's not just handed to you in the curriculum you have to earn the next level of knowledge in this in, in system and i understood finally that when i finally put to bed the neurosis in my mind the thought patterns that are not helpful those are noise pollution and they're not in the present moment and when those things are set down mm-hmm. there is space to listen and there is space to connect to the spirit of the medicine and be a bridge for people and i love that medicine i mm-hmm. love listening to its words all day you know not that i'm on my boga all day <laughs> i love like it stays with you mm-hmm. developing that relationship like listening to medicine is so beautiful and when i'm able to put down the noise pollution i can listen really well because that's how i work you know it's not my intellect or m- me it's the ability to be present and yet make space and that's really important people don't like a lot of space people like to fill up the space constantly with thoughts and with agendas and to-do lists and insecurities and all the things but when that's put down there's that relationship and that that relationship has deepened so much over time mm. it's like knowing a really good friend and starting to know how that friend works and when there's space a large part of my work has to do with thinking about people mm. thinking about people who are coming to see us thinking about people who probably need to come and see us thinking about the right words to share with them thinking about just getting to know them better and connecting dots i love to connect people you know when they have a similar mission that would be complementary like connecting people so just there's space to think mm-hmm. about things that are important that are helpful mm-hmm. that are helpful and so a lot of that has to do with people and that is thoroughly from the medicine the medicine wants us to be in relationship and that's also how people have a better experience like if someone comes to us and their best friend came there's already a relationship link that allows them to surrender more deeply Hmm. to really have a deeper experience. So that's one reason why relationships are so important. And sometimes we can form relationships through online dialogue for weeks in advance or like free teachings and things like that. That is relationship building. 
this idea of relationship building is so, so important. And I know, I mean, maybe not everyone has the opportunity to, to microdose, but you know, when you're, when you're in ceremony, it's very clear. Oh, please don't, please don't microdose. I just want to say to people, please do not, (laughs) please do not microdose. Gotcha. Now what, what we say Mm -hmm. (laughs) until you, (laughs) you go through a qualified provider with all the medical Mm. screening, because there can still be adverse events. Yeah. And there's a laundry list of common medications and very Absolutely. common herbs and supplements that are contraindicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be very careful and contraindicated conditions. You have to be very careful. And then there's sourcing. A lot of, so- of sourcing course, is bad yeah. or from elephant mm-hmm. poachers because elephants eat iboga. Don't ever buy medicine off the web, please. You know, yes, um, there's been so many cases of adulteration or non-sustainable mm-hmm. harvesting. And, and what we say, go to Africa. Mm-hmm. that's what we say Absolutely. go to africa go to deepen your relationship to the medicine yeah and people can find themselves in all kinds of trouble we get messages like oh i got my hands on some iboga and i'm shaking and they could aspirate mm. no we we can't help people at that point please please don't microdose on this medicine there's other medicines that mm-hmm. are sustainable that are safer and until mm-hmm. you go to africa or until you're like are in the ibogaine field don't and have that deep, deep understanding of the medicine and deep understanding of your tolerance and deep understanding of yourself so you don't go into a psychiatric emergency. So public hmm. service announcement. <laughs> Carry yes, on. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I really I really appreciate that. I definitely don't want to encourage anyone to be microdosing with this medicine. And I really want to follow that thread about ethics and sustainable harvesting in just a minute. But before we get to that, I would love to talk about what someone can do after an experience with a boga to continue to sort of build that relationship that doesn't involve microdosing. (laughs) Um, But how can someone perhaps (laughs) continue to integrate their experience in a way that helps to foster and build that relationship with a boga so that like I sometimes hear it talking to me in my ear, someone can sort of get to that place as well with the medicine. Oh, so important. Integration is everything. And the research shows that. The outcomes are far better, far more successful when there's integration. This is what we do after. Mm -hmm. And what we do after is become medicine in our own way, is embodying Mm. all the teachings. A lot of people will receive teachings or will receive divine homework of some kind that they know, things they need to change. You know, talk about trust, love, watch. Well, then I had to actually do it. (laughs) <laughs> not go back into old patterns. Yeah. So listening to the medicine, following the medicine, homework, like do those things, practice those things, the clear guidance that comes out of your experience and connecting to the soul is central to the Bwiti. And, all, and the Bwiti is not a religion. It's a tradition. It's a study of life. It never ends. It's very open, very welcoming. So trusting our soul, listening to our soul, loving ourselves, loving ourselves, honoring ourselves, taking good care of ourselves in all ways, in our mind, our body, and our soul, doing things that bring us authentic joy, discovering those things, exploring. If you don't know what you love outside of maybe an addiction, explore, try things, be willing to flop and get back up again, <laughs> you know? 
So nourish your soul, get to know your soul, spend time with your soul. And the pillars really are take really good care of your soul, take really good care of your mind. Self-talk, what's going on in there? Mm -hmm. Think with your soul, not with the programming we've been given by unconscious things. Mm -hmm. And the body, taking really good care of your body. What a gift to have that vehicle, taking good care of your body. And the other pillar is community. Hmm, community. Yes. And yeah, taking a look at your community. Who knows about your experience? Who can you talk to about your experience that can relate or be supportive? And if not, find people. And there's what's so beautiful about these days is there's psychedelic societies everywhere, online, and they're all online. You can connect with people all over the world in support groups for free or for very little. Mm -hmm. And then there's trained coaches. There's trained coaches that are out there and therapists like on psychedelic.support that can really support people in that helping professional way. That's really important. But community, you know, and really looking at who is in our lives that maybe we need to love from more of a distance Mm-hmm. And who do we want to be closer to? Who do we want to be like? Like, we rub off on each other. Mm-hmm. So surrounding ourselves with people who inspire us and uplift us and that make our soul feel really good and safe. And that's really important. Yeah, all Thank of those you. things. And safety. People have to be... Safety is central. You know, make sure you're in a safe environment around mm-hmm. safe people. Absolutely. I think sometimes safety is like the first ingredient, like it's the first thing that's required before someone can really feel like they can open up to yes. a situation is feeling safe. Those pillars are so, so vital. Thank you for, for, um, you know, mind, yeah. body, soul, and, and community. I think sometimes community gets overlooked. So thank you for totally. putting so much emphasis on that. So more on this nature of relationships. I love that we're talking about this. So when you're in a relationship with someone, something, it comes with a sense of responsibility. And I want to talk about the relationship Mm -hmm. that we have with aboga and the responsibility that comes with it. So not just to the medicine, but also to the community that it comes from, the people that harvest it and that generously share their wisdom with us. How can we fulfill our responsibility to aboga? And are there sustainability and ethical considerations that we can take in mind yes. before considering. Absolutely. I thank you so much for asking this question. It's so close to my heart. Yes. Reciprocity is the way of nature. Simply put, nothing exists without reciprocity. Without reciprocity, there is no life. Life is not sustainable without reciprocity. This medicine, this tremendous gift of the earth, we only know about it because of the indigenous people. We only know about it because of them, because of their intellectual property, because of their indigenous science and eons of research, you know, eons to really fully understand this medicine. And the depth, I would say the Western world has barely scratched the surface of their depth of understanding on how this medicine can really heal people. And and we've just started. Like, there's so much more to learn. But we need to be good students and good guests. So reciprocity begins with relationship. 
we can't say we're being in reciprocity by writing a check, which sometimes <laughs> isn't the most helpful thing. Only. Oh boy, isn't that true? Yeah, it begins with relationship. It's a two-way street. It's not like oh, I'm in reciprocity. No, we are in reciprocity, <laughs> and that takes intimacy and consent mm -hmm. and trust and time and respect, like a mutual respect. Because even though they don't have a lot of like the same kind of material comforts or, or technologies as we have, they have many, many things to share. And also we can't idealize anybody either. That's mm -hmm. not helpful. There's social problems everywhere. And a lot of them are from colonial trauma, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But there are gifts of the culture that have been the greatest blessing in my life. And that takes time and trust so building relationships with communities, and not all Bwiti communities are even open to talking to someone who looks white mm -hmm. or, looks, or, or is from the West. They're mm -hmm. very guarded because mm -hmm. of the colonial mindset, which always wants to dominate, exploit, and extract. So they're Absolutely. very guarded. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of communities that don't. We are in a community that welcomes absolutely welcomes like they all colors who come in a good way with respect so there's that trust and then when we talk about like well what's helpful that we can give what could you really use what would be really nice here and sometimes we do things like generate donations for like a medical procedure that they need that's beyond their scope that sort of traditional healing they need a medical procedure mama nunu mokodi Got her some eyeglasses. She really wanted mm -hmm. prescription eyeglasses. So my husband got her her own bank account. So as a woman who is an independent woman, that she wouldn't have to be paid by her students through anyone else in the community to prevent hierarchy, we need to be sensitive to social impact. Mm -hmm. When we give a bunch of money to one person in an indigenous community, that is a social impact that will create artificial hierarchy that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. So we need to be very careful and respectful of their culture to give in a community way, mm -hmm. a very community yeah. way. Like we give individually also to all of the helpers, you know, when we go there. And you know what? Sometimes they want a cell phone because so do you. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. like, yeah, totally. They want to be, have mm -hmm. their voice in, in the mix. They want to have their voice on the global psychedelic renaissance. They want to be communicating. And so we give the things that we can. We rebuilt several buildings. we got electricity in there. We're building a well. These are things that are useful, mm -hmm. that are really yeah. useful to them. And in turn, wow, they give. They have given so much. You know, my husband mm -hmm. is there for his fifth journey, and they are just showering him with knowledge and medicine and gifts and because he is so grateful and he shows up to study and serve. He never asked to be an ordained Ganga, which is a healer of the tradition. He was just showing up to study and serve because that's his mindset. Mm -hmm. And they saw that. So that's what it's about. Study, mm -hmm. serve, give, share. It's joy. Mm -hmm. And I see there's a lot of people capitalizing these days. I, I know like, I'm really grateful Beyond is another entity that gives to blessings of the forest. Blessings mm -hmm. of the forest gives so there's iboga sustainability project that gives in a communal way in a very intelligent careful communal way for sustainable iboga medicine so that's also another way that we are in reciprocity and it's run by indigenous people who really know that medicine
and know those communities. So yeah, those are those are some really important things. Yeah, Thank what I would you. share. Reciprocity is not charity. It's not saviorism. It's not going in and being like, oh, you know, you poor thing. No. <laughs> open open your eyes and receive mm-hmm. the gifts with respect. Yeah. That's reciprocity. Absolutely. It's so built on on relationships. One thing that I'm seeing so frequently is this idea that someone or a company or whatever, someone with money can walk into a community and quote unquote enact reciprocity and that as you so beautifully illustrated it doesn't work that way no it can wreak havoc i've heard of it wreaking havoc at times Mm -hmm. and just that assumption that well we have money so we know better that's ridiculous like the the necessity to go in build relationship build trust and that's that's assuming that you've been invited to that community in the first place. I think that there's so much smoke and mirrors, to use what you were saying earlier, this idea that we can enact reciprocity and, and it's all just going to be for political points within the psychedelic business sphere. Elizabeth, I've had such a pleasure chatting with you about, not chatting, we're having a deep discussion, a deep, loving, wonderful discussion. And I have one last question for you about Iboga and, and relationships. How can Iboga help us heal our relationship to the earth? I love that question. I think this was the question that Iboga was made for. Hmm. Really. In the origin story of Iboga, which is much longer, but the Mm -hmm. essence, there were two women in the Misoko Buiti origin story, because there are different origin stories Mm -hmm. within different branches of the Bwiti. So the second woman, she was the first one to intentionally ingest it, and and the second woman to ever ingest it in that tradition, and the spirit of Iboga came and said, hello, I am the spirit of Iboga. I have been watching you humans for a very long time. And you love to ask questions. You ask all kinds of existential questions. What is life? Who or what is God? What's my purpose? How do I be happy? How do I find a mate? How can I work in the best way possible? How can I be a good mother? How can I be a good friend? You know, all of these questions that we have. And so Iboga said, I have come to answer your questions. Hmm. And what that speaks to me of is a very long relationship of co-evolution, of that medicine sinking its roots into the earth and touching human bones and human DNA and understanding this creature that could someday kill the planet. Right? Understanding this creature that could go into mass addiction, you know, mental health crisis. Understanding... And Iboga loves life. Let me tell you, it loves life. It's a much bigger conversation. (laughs) It literally loves life. It loves human life. It loves the ecosystem life. It just loves life because that's the matrix of consciousness. And consciousness is divine. So there's this long relationship. And I see that Iboga can give people answers to questions. And what I want to see is more and more people asking that question, coming to Iboga, saying, how can I help heal the planet? Mm -hmm. 
How can I help heal climate change? Just one person. Everybody can do something different. That's an important part of the bigger picture. I want to see scientists taking iboga. I want to see entrepreneurs taking iboga and asking the big questions. The big questions, because this is why it came. That detox is just like the first layer. Let's get to these questions, because in my humble opinion and experience, this is the ultimate medicine for strategy, for broad thinking strategy. So let's get the people in here and also people like the big rich people <laughs> also mm-hmm. who are suffering, mm-hmm. who are suffering and can do something, right? The mm-hmm. iboga is here to heal the, the thinking that makes people miserable. The Buiti say they have one law. So it's a very simple tradition. There is one law, one law says, and it encompasses many smaller actions, do not abuse nature or the price is misery. And that includes ourselves. That includes ourselves and the planet. Mm. We cannot. We have to stop abusing nature. We need to think about how we can give back to nature. Otherwise, we will suffer and our children will suffer and our children's children will suffer. So let's get people in here to work with this medicine and ask the big questions and receive their unique answer, something they can do, and very high-level people, people who can make things happen, everybody, because everybody has an equal part. Everybody's necessary. Everybody's important. And, and even if it's just you know, being kind to someone on the street or paying attention to your life, that's part of it. You know, there are things that people can do, and, and I did ask that question. But I want you to find your own answer. Whoever is listening. Oh, thank so, you I'm so, so grateful. Iboga has shown me so much love. So much love. Iboga is so loving, so, so fiercely loving. And I'm really excited for all kinds of people, if it's appropriate for them, if they feel the call from their soul and they pass medical screening, you know, to come and experience this medicine and see see what is there for you with your visionary soul aligned planet restoring creativity hmm basi basi b-a-s-s-e basi is like a sacred word up like truth i agree yes hmm. i resonate the spirit of that. Um, yes and it's emphasis also <laughs> yeah I think that's such an incredible yeah. place to end this conversation is encouraging people to seek out their own answers to this question. Thank you for encouraging me to seek out my answer to this question. What an honor and pleasure to learn from you, to speak with you, to share space, and to call people in and invite them to explore the depths of their own psyche, selves, self-love, relationships, all of these things that Iboga is such an incredible teacher. Yes, we're so lucky. So thank you so much. Love and gratitude Mm -hmm. to you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Ibogaine Uncovered. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on Spotify and Apple, leave a review, or share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by Beyond and produced by Eamon Armstrong, mixed by Trevor Coulter and edited by Ariel Villafane. 
Beyond is the world's premier network of medically-based Ibogaine treatment facilities for addiction, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Beyond's mission is to help people end chemical and behavioral dependency and to end the suicide epidemic with psychotherapeutic treatment and psychedelic plant medicine innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical advice and does not necessarily reflect Beyond's views on mental health treatment or personal development. For inquiries and further information, please visit beyondibogaine.com and make an inquiry using the web form or email beyond at hello at beyondibogaine.com.